Now, most of you hopefully remember that tomorrow is Memorial Day, and tomorrow we will be taking time to remember those who have given their lives so that we can continue to enjoy the freedoms and the liberty that we have in this country. All of those people, men and women who died in service to their country, died defending us so that we could continue to be safe and free. We owe them a debt of gratitude that we could never pay back. Uh, they've given all. And so tomorrow there's a day set aside that we lift up these fallen men and women in remembrance because they gave all for the good of others. They gave their last full measure. The sacrifice that they gave makes them worthy of our remembrance. The legacy that they leave behind should be an inspiration to all of those who are left behind. This morning, we're going to be talking about our legacy, but we are remembering the legacy of those who gave their lives in service for the country. So before we get into our message, I just want to take a minute and have a moment of silence and then prayer for the families of those who have given their lives and for our country, especially in the time that we're in now. So let's take just a minute to remember them and to ask God's blessing on the families of those who have given their lives in service. Our Lord God and Father, again, we come to you and we do thank you for people who are willing to give their lives in service of others. Lord, there are many people around the world in your service. And tomorrow we remember those who have served their country in the military, who have given their lives and been, been willing to sacrifice whatever it takes to preserve our freedoms. Lord, we do have them to thank, but most of all, we have you to thank because you are the one who have bestowed these freedoms upon us, who have given us this country where we are free to worship you, to gather together in your name. And so, Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that these have made to preserve that freedom that we have. Lord, we do pray for their families as they go through this time, as they remember the loved ones who have gone on now. Lord, we pray that you would just give them comfort. And even through this remembrance, Lord, I pray that you would bring them to your side, to your truth. Draw them to you so that they might find true comfort in you, for you are the only one that can provide peace and comfort. And so, Lord, again, we do thank you for those who have served our country, who have given their last full measure. And we thank you for Jesus Christ, who gave everything on the cross for us, so that we might have ultimate spiritual freedom and liberty in him. And Lord, we just ask for your presence now during this service, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned, we are celebrating Memorial Day tomorrow, and we're remembering great men and women who sacrificed for their country. They would be considered heroes, and they should be considered heroes. And yet, if you look around in our society, uh, there's lots of people who are being lifted up as great people. And it's not necessarily because of sacrifices they make. Most of them is because of their status. Uh, people worship and memorialize celebrities left and right. And really, they, they have nothing more to commend them to people except that they're famous or that they have some kind of status in society or on TV or in movies or whatever. But they're really, they really definitely have nothing to commend them to God. 
Because God looks at people differently than we look at people, than humans look at people. When David went to uh, anoint the king, um, before David was king, God had taken the, the kingdom away from Saul, and David, uh, God uh, directed Samuel to go to David's family and to anoint the new king. And he went through all, the, all six brothers of David's, and he started with the oldest and the biggest and the strongest and the most good-looking and he went through all of them, and God reminded Samuel, he says, no, it's not going to be any of these because I don't look on the outward appearance, I look in the heart. And that's where he came to David, because David was described as a man of God's own heart. And that's what makes a true hero in God's eyes, and in our eyes, it should be that way. If you think about all of the great men that we memorialize, or that we remember through history, even in our country, we think of great presidents like uh, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. We think of other great men that have served and given their lives or have sacrificed in some other way, and we hold them up as heroes. But we have to remember this truth. Great men and women of history are not remembered for what they did for themselves. They're remembered for what they did for others. And that's really the basis if we want to call people heroes or we want to call them uh, people of, uh, that are, are worthy of being remembered and being lifted up or following in their legacy, it's about people who are willing to sacrifice. Now, Memorial Day is to remember those people that have sacrificed their lives in service of our country. But every day, God has asked us to present our, our lives a living sacrifice. And every day, we are building a legacy, not for ourselves, but for those who've come behind us to follow and to look at as an example in serving and following the Lord. And really, that's all that matters. And so all these people in our society that are lifted up as great people are not great people in God's eyes. We have to look at people and look at the legacy that we leave from God's perspective. Now, God's given us many examples in his word of what a great person looks like. We read... The, the testimony of one this morning, the Apostle Paul, obviously all of us, or at least most of us, are familiar with the Apostle Paul and the sacrifices that he made in service to God. He dedicated his life to spreading the gospel. And this is toward the end of his life when he's writing this letter in 2 Timothy. And as he says in verse 6 of chapter 4, he says, I'm now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. He knew he wasn't going to be long on this earth. And yet, as he looked back, he says in verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. The question as we read that, I mean, we, we obviously uphold the Apostle Paul as a great man in Christianity, a great example to follow, kind of one of the cornerstones of the church that gave us the foundation of what we are able to enjoy today in worshiping the Lord together. But could we say, as Paul said, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. What is the legacy that we're going to leave behind? Is that what people will say about us? He fought a good fight. He finished the course. He kept the faith. In verse 8, Paul goes on, he says, This is the reward for me. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearance. So there are rewards that are waiting for people like Paul in heaven when we get there. 
And it's not that we serve the Lord in order to gain the rewards. That's kind of a selfish motive. But God has promised rewards to those who serve him faithfully on this earth. And so Paul is a great example that we can lift up and say, yeah, he was a great man. He's a, a great example that we can follow. Obviously, we look at the scripture if we go to the first four books of the New Testament. In the Gospels, it gives us the life of Christ. He's our ultimate example. He lived a perfect life as a man, filled with the Holy Spirit, because he was God as well. But he's given us the example of what the Christian life should look like. Now, we make the argument many times, well, I can't be perfect because I'm not God. No, but God has called us to be holy. God has given us his Holy Spirit in us. And as I've said many times before, if we submit ourselves to the authority of God in our lives and only do those things that the Holy Spirit leads us to do, God will never lead us to do anything that's wrong. And so we possibly could live a holy life. And yet we don't because we choose not to follow the Holy Spirit. But Christ was a perfect example for us. In Ephesians 4, verse 13, Paul says this to us. He says, Till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, that means a mature man, a complete man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What Paul's saying there in Ephesians 4 is that our goal is to become like Christ. That is where we would see ourselves as complete or fully mature to live like Christ. And in Colossians chapter 1, verses 27 through 28, Paul says, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So the legacy that we leave behind is not really how great of a person we are or how great of a Christian we were on this earth. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. Did we reflect him in our lives and how we live? Because that's the measure of a great Christian. Are we submitted to Christ? Are we becoming more like him? Are we living out his commands and his, his precepts and following him in our lives? Now, I've lifted up Christ and the Apostle Paul. They're kind of extremes, if you will, at the top of the, the gauge, right? But think about other people that are mentioned in the scripture that are examples for us. Abraham. Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11 is, is singled out as a man of extreme faith. In fact, he became literally the father of the Hebrew nation and was, was remembered because of his faith. You, can, you go through Israel's history of Joshua. Joshua left a legacy of faith in God, and he had a positive outlook because of his faith in God that focused on God's promises rather than his own weakness. I mean, how much more could we accomplish in God's strength if we focused on the promises of God and that became our motivating factor and the substance of our moving forward in our lives rather than all of the things that we see as limitations because of our own weakness? I think the world and the church especially would be different if we had more Joshua's. Daniel, a man of uncompromising prayer and faith in action. He refused to defile himself with the king's meat when he was brought to, to Babylon. He continued to pray even when his life was threatened. And he continued to trust God in no matter what the circumstances were. I mean, we can look at Daniel and say, yeah, there's a great example for us to follow. 
I've already mentioned David. David was a man after God's own heart. We read in the Psalms how much he literally was consumed by the love for the Lord and the love for God's word, especially Psalm 119. And, and it was, remember, God who defined David as a man after his own heart, not man. So David's a great person that we could follow. I mean, we could go on and on and on. The Bible is given to us so that we can see examples all through the Old and New Testaments of people who weren't perfect, but they followed Christ. And they're memorialized in Scripture because God wants us to understand that these are examples for us to look at. And even in their imperfection, God says they left a legacy behind them that affected people's lives after them. We won't take the time to go through anymore. You can find those. But I'm just trying to remind us what great people really look like. What great people really are when you look at their character, when you look at their lives, when you look at not just what they're remembered for, but the impact that they leave after they're gone. That's what it means to have a, a legacy or a positive legacy. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is this. What will be your legacy when you get to the end of your life where Paul was here in 2 Timothy chapter 4? And it's not your opinion about yourself that matters. It's the impact that you leave on people after you're gone. Let me define something for you. There's a difference between your reputation and your legacy. Your reputation is what people think about you, what people remember about you, okay? And your reputation only lasts as long as people remember you. I'm going to give you a quiz, okay? In five seconds, who was the third vice president of our country? Time's up, okay? <laughs> See, was there, is there a legacy there? Well, I don't know. You know. We'll have to go look at the history books. I can't remember. But it's not somebody that stands out in your mind, okay? And I have to admit, you know what? I can't remember right now. Because obviously it wasn't a great outstanding man who left a legacy necessarily that has made such an impact that as soon as the name or as soon as that position comes up, your, your name, that you remember the name. Okay, let me give you somebody who you would remember who left a legacy of restoring freedom, especially by freeing slaves in our country. Abraham Lincoln. Okay, that's a legacy. See, so there's a difference between a reputation and a legacy. A reputation is what people think and remember about you. A legacy is the impact that you leave on people that continues to impact people long after you're gone. The Apostle Paul left a legacy. He gave us many of the books of the New Testament. He established and helped to encourage many of the early churches that went on to evangelize the world. So Paul left a legacy. These other men that I mentioned left a legacy. And so the question I'm asking this morning is, what will be your legacy if we even have one? What is going to go on about from you in the impact that you leave in people's lives? Now, there's also not just a positive legacy. There's a negative legacy. And there's lots of people that you can probably think of that have a negative legacy. I'll just name one, Hitler, okay? We remember him, obviously, but he has a negative legacy in our world. 
But you can have a negative legacy even if you are not a negative person, even if you don't do things that are not necessarily extremely negative, okay? The negative legacy that you can leave is by not doing the things that will establish a positive legacy. If you leave no impact on people, it's not like you didn't exist. Because if you just live your life and people might remember you, a few people might remember you for a small time, but you leave really no impact for the Lord in this world, then you've just encouraged other people that it really doesn't matter what your life is all about. Live your life, die. Oh, if you're saved, go to heaven, but it doesn't matter what you leave on this earth behind you. See, that's a negative legacy. And God wants us to have a positive legacy in our lives as believers. We are literally just to show people Christ in our lives and how we live. So when we talk about legacy, it comes down, as, again, as I've mentioned, to the impact that we leave in people's lives that continues to impact people for generations long after we're gone. And this morning, I want to share some ways that we can start to create or help to, to develop a positive legacy in our lives. Not so that people remember us, but so that people can remember the God that we serve, because that's our purpose, right? We're here to show people God, to point the way to God. As believers, that's our, our entire reason for living. That's why God saved us. And you've heard me say this before. God did not save you so that you could have a better life, okay? God did not save you also just so that you could go to heaven. Now, God wants our fellowship, and that's part of the reason. But the primary purpose that God saved us is so that God could show himself and glorify himself through saved people, through his church on this earth. Our purpose is found in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, right? Whether therefore ye eat or drink, do what? All to the glory of God. So our purpose is to glorify God, and that's what our legacy should be. It shouldn't even be, well, he was a great preacher, or he was a great Christian who did a lot of things to help other people. Okay, if people remember you, but they don't remember your God, that's not a positive legacy. So let me share with you three ways that you can start building a positive legacy today. First, you're creating a positive legacy depends on how you care for your family and how you build up your family. It starts in your family. Okay, this is the greatest way you can build a legacy in your life, and especially for younger parents who are just starting off. But this is for everyone. It's not just for younger parents. See, God gives us in families a built-in audience, okay? And as, especially as parents, and especially, especially as fathers, I don't know if I can double that to make it more impactful, but especially as fathers, we have a responsibility because we are the head of the family. And we have a built-in audience. In fact, I believe God has given us families to train us to teach us how we're supposed to live as believers. And we start off by being the children, right? And we have to live under the authority of other people to learn how to submit to authority. And we have to live to learn, most of us, with siblings and with other people in our household so that we can learn to get along and learn to love one another, even when they're not so loving, or when they don't love us back, or when they steal our, our pillow, or whatever, okay? 
So families are God's purpose to start training us. And in our family, as we get to be parents, that's when we begin to establish a legacy. Now, I'm not going to give you names, but I have known and known about many respected Christian leaders and pastors and great evangelists. And when you look at their families, it's literally like they spent their whole lives ministering to the world and let their families go to hell. And unfortunately, although they leave a legacy in the world, it doesn't say very much about where their family ended up. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this happen. So as far as not just pastors, it's people who are believers, and our responsibility starts with our families. And it starts with our children, especially. And I'll tell you why, because children know the real you. You can't fake it in front of your kids as parents. They know all of your weaknesses. They know all the times when you're at your angriest. They know all the times when you're at your weakest. They know all the times when you're at your laziest. They know all your weaknesses. And so if you try to pretend in front of other people and put up a face so that other people think you have this great legacy of Christian leadership or being a great Christian, and your children know different, they'll see right through the hypocrisy. And I believe that's one of the reasons why we have lost a generation from the churches, because so many parents want to perform in church, and yet at home they're completely different. I know from experience, many families that we grew up with as when we, our kids were young, and it seemed like there were families in our churches and families that we knew as far as lifestyle and standards and, you know, the, the importance of God in their lives. We all agreed. There was like no disagreement about people. But as people got older, as people started to move away, as the world changed around us, I saw people start to change their standards. They went to church less and less. They started church hopping. They started church skipping. You know, it wasn't important to them. And I watched their kids literally abandon church completely and abandon Christianity. And I kept asking myself, what happened? Why? Why would people do this? And I can't answer that specifically, but the only thing I can come up with is that they weren't committed to following the Lord, period. Now, I'm not saying they have to be just like me to follow the Lord. But I will give you one word that's important in establishing a legacy in your family, and that's consistency. If you're not consistent in how you follow God in your life, regardless of whether you are, whether you're at home, whether you're at church, whether you're at work, your kids will see through that. And consistency is the best way or foundational way for you to start building a legacy that will impact your children and their children and their children and others who come in contact with them. Deuteronomy chapter 6 contains what the Jews call the Shema. If you'll turn there with me real quickly. Deuteronomy chapter 6.
The Shema is a prayer, really. It's one of only two prayers that are required by all Jews to pray every day in the Torah. They were to say it every morning and every night. In fact, it's the first prayer that children were taught and the last prayer that they said before they died. And it's recorded in scripture for us, Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting at verse 4 through verse 9. And I'm going to start at verse 3, actually, because the introduction is verse 3, and then the prayer starts in verse 4. It says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee, in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and upon thy gates." This is a command given by God, but they put it into a prayer so that they would be reminded twice a day of this command that God gave them. Let me break it down for you. In verse 4, it starts off by saying this, The Lord our God is one Lord. If you look at these words, the Lord here is capitalized. It means Jehovah, the God of heaven, the self-existent one. They're recognizing that there's only one God. It is the God of heaven the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the Israelites. But is that, that's the God we're talking about. And he says, the Lord, our God, not a God, not even the God, the Lord, our God. He belongs to us and we belong to him. That was an important point for them to understand. And because we belong to him, we're accountable to him. And that's why God gave him the law because they were accountable to him. So he says in verse four, the Lord our God is one Lord. That means there's only one God who created all and there's one God who rules all. He is our master. And it means there's one God whom we should recognize and serve. So there's a lot established just in that one phrase in verse four. It recognizes God for who he is. And then it gives us our responsibility to him. He goes on in verse 5, and we're told to love this God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might. Now, if you love something with all your heart, how much room is there left for anything else? If you filled up a cup all the way to the brim with water, there's no more room for anything else in that cup. And so when God says, I want you to love me with all your heart, that doesn't mean love me first. Most importantly, love me more than everything else. It means love me, period, alone. Because if you love me, then you will love other people. But you have to love me first. And he says, love me with all your heart, all your soul, all your might. Everything that is your being should be focused on truly loving God. Now, unfortunately, in our society, our culture has this idea that has affected churches and invaded churches and our theology in that when we look at this phrase to love God, we have this romantic sense of, oh, I have to have this kind of ooh feeling and warm fuzzies about the Lord. That's not what this is talking about at all. Okay? 
I, I gave a message last week about the Jewish wedding. And the groom had basically had an arranged marriage. There was no romantic love to start for the most part in most marriages. And that went on for centuries. It wasn't about romance. It was about getting married for procreation and utility and companionship. Okay, that was it. And that didn't change until about the 13th century. But when God said to love him, it's a commitment that these people were making. That's why he starts with by saying, I am your God. Recognize that. Therefore, you have a responsibility to me, but I don't want you to see yourselves as my slaves. I want you to see yourselves as my children. I love you, and therefore I want you to love me the way I have loved you. Now, you can't go through Scripture and find ooey-gooey love language that God wrote to us in these love notes because he loves us. That's not what his love is about. His love is an absolute commitment for our good. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. And so when God says here in verse 5, to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our might, that means everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we do is to be focused on our commitment to follow him, to do what he says. Because Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The most important thing in our life, the most important motivation that will keep us going, that will cause us to make decisions, that will affect everything we do, is whether we love the Lord or not. And so God says, you start by loving me, period, with everything you have. Because that will affect everything else that you do. He goes on in verse 6. And he says, if we love God, then his words will be in our heart, right? Fill our thinking and being. Verse 6, uh, and these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. So first he says, love me. Then he says, keep my words in your heart. Now, what did David say? Thy word have I hid in my heart, why? That I might not sin against thee, right? You've probably heard this phrase. Sin will keep you from this book, or this book will keep you from sin. Okay? God is saying, if we love him, we will fill ourselves with him. And the greatest revelation we have of him with us today is his word. When he gave this command, they didn't have anything. They were just receiving the commandments. They didn't have all of the law completed. And the majority of people, except for the priests, probably couldn't or didn't read the law for themselves. But he says, your words need to be in, or my words need to be in your heart. Fill yourself with me. Psalm 19, this is David speaking. He says, thy word is sweeter than honey. Right? Sweeter than honey, also the honeycomb. Is that our approach to scripture? Is that how we love God? Well, we cannot wait to hear what he has to say to us next. And it's all recorded right here for us to access anytime. Fill ourselves with his word. Jeremiah the prophet said, thy word was the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Is that the way we approach God? So that's verse six. Verse seven in the Shema says, here's the key to establishing a legacy. First, you have to 
follow me, love me, fill yourself with me, God says. And then verse 7 is the important part. Once you've done that, teach them diligently to your children. And it's not occasionally, it's not half-heartedly, it's not hoping your kids will pick up some good things just by watching, okay? It says, teach them diligently. And then he describes how we're supposed to teach them diligently as he goes on in verse uh, 7. He says, thou shalt teach them diligently to thy children. Thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou risest up. No matter what you're doing, it's always a teaching moment to teach your children. That's how you establish a legacy in your family. God outlined it right there for the Israelites right at the beginning of their history. Here's how you establish a legacy of God and of a godly family that will go on for generations, and it's all right here. Talk about God, teach about God, everything relates to God. And it demonstrates how much you really love him if you do this. And then he adds in the next verse, put them between your eyes, on your, on your hand, put them on the doorposts, on the gates of the cities. Now, the Israelites took God seriously and literally in this. And they actually, the Orthodox Jews would carry around phylacteries. They were little boxes. And they would hold them on their wrists. Sometimes you see them on their forehead. They would post them on the doorposts so that no matter where they went, inside these little boxes, where the law rolled up. And it reminded them of God's law all the time, everywhere they went. They were always seeing these reminders to love the Lord with all your heart, to do what he said, and to teach your children. When I was growing up, our church bought an old Jewish synagogue. And when you walked in the door, there were the phylacteries there. When you walked up the steps into the sanctuary, the phylacteries were on the side. And the church debated whether we were going to take them down or not because they were distinctly Jewish, if you want to put it that way. And they decided, you know what? No, we're going to leave them there. Because the reminder is just as good for us as it was for the Jews. We don't have to make it a God. We don't have to go, you know, extreme in how we treat these things. It's just a simple reminder to keep God's word in our heart and to teach your children diligently. So God basically is saying here in the Shema to Israel and to us, because the principles still apply to us, everything you do, everything in your life should focus on teaching others, especially your children, about who God is and your responsibility to him and teaching them how to love, them, love him. And he says you do it when you sit down, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk. No matter what you're doing, it's always a teaching opportunity. Now, here's the key. We can talk till we're blue in the face. We could quote the Bible every minute of the day. But what do our children learn most from? Our actions. And that's why I say, your children will see right through the hypocrisy if all you do is talk about God and quote verses to them, but live a totally different way, like it really doesn't matter to you. If you talk about God all the time, but you live like God really isn't that important, guess what your children are going to learn? God really isn't that important. And that's why we've lost a generation 
who have just abandoned church because their parents performed at church and in public, but they didn't live it at home. A godly legacy that will last for generations after you is completely about how important you make God in your life. And it starts with what happens or doesn't happen at home. And I think what doesn't happen becomes more important than what does happen. Because as I said, you want to create a negative legacy? Do nothing. Be lazy. Make it convenient instead of making it a purpose to teach your children through your actions and your words. If we don't live it like we believe it, then our kids are not going to believe it. And God goes on and he tells Israel that if they don't obey him, that he's going to visit the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. That doesn't mean that God was going to punish Israel for three or four generations. What it means is that the legacy established by the fathers would carry on through successive generations because of the influence and the teaching that the fathers gave to the children, either through their obedience or through their non-obedience, or through their apathy. And we have to remember that sin has consequences. And if we just say, well, God really isn't that important, we won't say that, obviously, because we're good Christians, okay? But if we live like we believe that God really isn't that important, and our lives on a regular basis show other people, especially our children, that God is really not that important, that has consequences. Achan's sin. Remember, Achan stole some garments and some other treasures during the raid before they went to Ai, and they were destroyed in the next battle. And Achan and his entire family were killed. Your actions as a parent affect your children and other generations. King Saul is another great example. King Saul swayed from obeying the Lord. He wanted to do things his own way, and God basically told him, I'm taking the throne away from your children. Jonathan seemed to be a very faithful man. That was his son. He was a very close friend of David. He wanted to serve the Lord. He wanted David to be on the throne. He did everything possible to protect David and make sure that God's ordination of David came true and came, came to take place. And yet Jonathan died too and lost the throne. Your actions affect future generations. So sin has consequences, and the consequences of our sin will be felt by our entire family. And it's easy to remember all of the things that we shouldn't do, the thou shalt not, but what about all the things that we should be doing? That's the real key. Our neglect of doing the important things is just as bad or probably worse than if we do bad things. We can't neglect to teach our children. So your first, your, your legacy and creating a legacy that's positive and that will impact your generations after you begins by depending on how you follow God and caring for your family. What happens at home and what doesn't happen at home. Second, creating a positive legacy depends on how you care for your community. When God gave us his command that we're supposed to love himself or, or that we're supposed to love him, 
He also said, we're also supposed to love our neighbors. That's what Jesus answered to the Pharisee when they said, what's the greatest command? And Jesus said, first of all, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Second of all, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the loving your neighbor as yourself is a natural response that comes out of loving God. Because as we love God, then we start to see other people the way God sees them. And we start to see their needs the way God sees them. Now, we don't have necessarily all the resources at hand that God has to directly supply needs, but God has given us everything we need, not just for ourselves, but everything we need to help others in need. And so when we are talking about creating a positive legacy, it depends on how we build up and care for the community around us. Now, what do I mean by community? Well, obviously, it's your neighbors, but it's also people you work with. It's people that you live near. It's people that you go to church with. It's everybody you come in contact with. That is your community. Remember when Jesus was teaching about loving your neighbor, and one of the men listening said, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus gave the parable of the prodigal son. Not the prodigal son, I'm sorry. The parable of the good Samaritan. i got to get my parable straight. He gave the parable of the good Samaritan, where there was a man, a Jew, who was hurt. And then all of the people who were Jews, who were high up down to the kind of, um, I don't know what you would call them, blue collar worker, I guess. And they just kind of looked at the guy and walked by. He's laying there injured after he'd been robbed and they just walked by him. And then finally, the Samaritan, the people that the Jews hated, he's the one that actually stopped and showed the kind of care that Jesus was talking about. And so basically the lesson is, who is my neighbor? Anyone who you are able to help. That's your neighbor. That's what Jesus was trying to teach us. And the truth about the Christian life is that our commitment and how we love God will be reflected in how we love others in our community, everybody that we come in contact with. Now here's the truth of it. First John chapter 4, verse 20. John says, If a man say, I love God, and he hateth his brother, he is a liar. That's God saying that. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? So John makes it pretty clear. If we don't love the people that are around us, we really don't love God. James 2 tells us that if we are partial in how we show respect to people, in how we lift certain people up, but then kind of push other people down, if we consider ourselves to be greater or of higher standing than other people so that really they're not worth our time, then we really don't have the love of God in us. James 2 goes on to say that if we see someone who's hungry or thirsty or in need of something, and all we do is say, you know what, I'll pray for you. I hope you do fine and I hope God provides for you. And we know that we have the ability to help them in some way, then we do not love God. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them who curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This is your enemies. Not your friends. Not those people that you just meet that really you have no relationship. This is your enemies. People who treat you poorly, who are not kind, who want to hurt you. Jesus says, love them. Because your attitude and treatment toward those that are not the most kind and the most lovely is what you really are. 
Take the person that you can't stand the most. That's how you really feel about God. Because God says, love your enemies. We were his enemies when Christ came to earth. We were his enemies before we had the atonement of Jesus' blood. We were all his enemies. We were rebellious against him. We hated him. We wanted everything for ourselves. We wanted our own way. We couldn't care less about God. And the Bible tells us that God sent his son even when we were his enemies. God showed his love to us even when we were his enemies. And that's what Jesus is telling us. How do we approach our community? Do we live with other people, with those people who we would consider below us? Who would we consider the messy people of life, you know, the drunk and the gutter, prostitutes, drug addicts? Well, you just don't want to get involved with those kind of people because that's messy. And yet those are the very people God has called us to, and they are part of our community. So your legacy will be defined by what you're willing to sacrifice for people as you care for those in your community. It starts with your family. It extends to your community. And then the third way you create a positive legacy depends on how you build up and care for God's kingdom. Now, obviously, what we've talked about so far is meeting people's needs, about showing them love. That's the way God showed love to us. But we have to have a kingdom mindset. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, if you read chapter 6 of Matthew when Jesus is giving this command, this is verse 33. Verse 34 and 35 and 36, Jesus doesn't go on and say, okay, well, first is seeking the kingdom of God. Second is this. Third is this. Fourth is this. He actually only gives the first. First, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So we don't have to seek anything else except the kingdom of God. And he's giving this in the context of saying, you know what? Stop worrying about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, what you're going to do. God knows you have need of all these things, your clothing, your food, your shelter, all of this stuff that you think you need. Okay, God knows that. He's going to take care of it for you. And remember, this is Jesus talking, and he doesn't have a home of his own. He probably only has one set of clothes that he's wearing. And Jesus says, God's going to take care of you. He clothes the lily of the field. You think he's not going to clothe you? So he says, stop thinking about the temporal stuff, the important stuff from a worldly perspective, and start thinking in a kingdom mindset. Seek the kingdom of God first. Now let's put that in the context of caring for other people and building up our community and our families. What is the greatest need of every human being? Salvation. Redemption by the blood of Jesus Christ. And as important as caring for the people around you is physically, there's nothing more important that, they, than, than to, that you need to understand than that their eternal fate rests in whether they are introduced to the Lord who can save them. And so their greatest need is to be introduced to the kingdom of God. And I believe that's part of what Jesus meant when he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Stop living so that you are looking for the stuff for yourself and start living so that you can help bring people into my kingdom, is what Jesus was saying. 
People might need food and clothing and shelter, and we should help them with that. We read that in James very specifically. And friends might need our support and company, and we should give that to them. And church family might need our presence, our, per, our participation in the services and in the activities of the church. We need all that. But the greatest need, and not, there's nothing more important than people's need for God and to have that relationship with him in salvation. What was the last command that Jesus gave to his disciples before he went to heaven? Matthew chapter 28. He says, Go ye therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. I'm not going to preach about the Great Commission, okay? Because the Great Commission, I think, is partly done by many people. Yeah, we, we're handing out tracts. We're telling people about the Lord. And, then, you know, I've, I've met many people who were soul winners. They go out, they win people to the Lord. They come back to the church and said, I, I, got, I was talking to a guy. He got saved this week. And this lady, too, I gave her a tract. She prayed the prayer. And then you never see those people. You never hear from them again. The second part of the command says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So it's not just about giving people the gospel, although that has to be the first step. And that is the most important thing in a person's life, if they do not know God, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he says, teach them to observe all things. Sounds exactly like the command that he gave to Israel about teaching their children. Think of certain people that have died recently. Not that long ago, Billy Graham passed away. What is his legacy? When you think about Billy Graham, he lived his life to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to lift up Billy Graham because his life was about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Last week, Dr. Robbie Zacharias died. He was a renowned Christian apologist and teacher. I listened to him all the time when I was younger on the radio. I've read some of his books. Great teacher. But he was focused on helping people to understand scripture so that they could come to know God. I'm sure you can think of other people who have defined their legacy through their ministry, okay? And your ministry is your life. It's how you live. That's our ministry. How we treat other people, that's how we live. So your ministry is your life. You don't have to be a great person in history to get put down in the history books in order to have a great legacy. The legacy you have is the impact that you leave on other people. Let me share with you one person as, I, as we finish our message this morning. My grandfather was a great influence in my life, and it was at least, at least partly because of the impact he had in my life that I became a pastor. My grandfather was not a pastor. My grandfather worked in an iron mine for the first part of his life. He worked at an, a military arsenal developing weapons in World War II and the Korean War. And he retired around age 70, and then... I mean, his ministry didn't start then, but that's when he kind of assumed full-time ministry. 
And he would start to go at age 70, he began this ministry, going to the hospitals to visit sick people and to give them some hope from the scripture. In fact, he was there so much that the hospital actually gave him and made him an honorary chaplain because he was always there talking to people about the Lord. When he died, there were a lot of people at his funeral I didn't know. I didn't recognize them. I mean, our family was all there, but there were a lot of people. And as we started talking to them, these were people that he had met in, either in the hospital or in his neighborhood that he had helped in some way, given them a ride, given them money, helped them with food, did, you know, whatever. There were all kinds of stories about this. But the thing that every single one of them said was that your grandfather always gave us the message of Jesus Christ. That, that was his legacy. No matter what other help he had offered, he never failed to share the gospel with them. Because that was their greatest need. So your legacy is defined more than anything else by what you do to build the kingdom of God as Christians. And it's not about what people are going to say about you or what people remember about you. It's what God sees and can do with the work that you've left on this earth and the legacy that you leave behind with the people that you've impacted. The Apostle Paul said this about his legacy, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. John said, I'm sorry, the Apostle John said this, I have no greater joy than to see that my children walk in truth. He wasn't talking about his physical children. He was talking about people who had come to know the Lord through his ministry and through his life. And that's the kind of legacy we need to be focused on creating in both our families and with all of those who need to be pointed to God. That's what a legacy for us as believers is all about. That's what defines, according to God, a person worthy of being remembered. And if you want to get some pictures of those kinds of people, read through Hebrews 11 again. Not perfect people, but people who trusted God whose lives were defined by following the Lord. And the impact that these people had on the rest of history, really. I'll point out one more as we finish up. Rahab. Rahab was not an Israelite. She was a Canaanite. She believed in God when she had hid the spies. She was a prostitute. Her life was not exemplary by any means, and yet it was through the line of Rahab that Jesus Christ was born. That's a legacy. So here's the question. What kind of legacy are you creating for those who come up behind you, for those who are going to follow you? What are you doing today and tomorrow and the next day? to leave that legacy of the God that you say you follow in the lives of other people? Are you leading people closer to God through your love for him as you obey him and live by his truth? Or are you leading your children and other people away from God by neglecting to make him the most important thing in your life? Tomorrow, as we honor those who dedicated their lives to the last full measure to the country, I also want you to think about the legacy 
that Jesus Christ left us to follow in, the impact that he had in our life, and the sacrifice that he made, and the sacrifice that God has called us to give to him. It's not about creating a legacy for ourselves. It's about creating a legacy for our God, building his kingdom, and it starts with our families, and it extends to our communities. And I don't know about you, but when I die, I don't want people to remember and talk about how good of a person I was. I want people to remember and talk about how good of a God I served. That's a legacy. And so might we all strive to create the godly legacy of obedience and faithfulness that continues to draw people to God rather than just cause them to remember us. Because we really aren't worthy of anything but God is. So let's leave the legacy of him behind us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are an omnipotent God. You are in control of all things. And Lord, as your people, you've called us to follow you in obedience, to follow you in impacting people's lives so that they are drawn to you. We can't do that by ourselves. We know that. We are weak. We are imperfect people. And if it was up to us, we would just mess everything up. But Lord, through us, you can do a mighty work. And so help us to submit ourselves to your purpose for us. Help us to commit ourselves to knowing your word, to following your word, and to loving you the way you want us to. So that that commitment is extended to our families and to other people that we can help, that we can bring the gospel to, that we can encourage with your word that we can help physically to bring them along the path of life, but most of all so that they can enter into the journey to eternal life, to be part of your kingdom. Lord, we want to praise you, we want to lift you up, and we want most of all that you be glorified in our lives and all that we do. So we thank you for your goodness to us. May we take your word now, let it penetrate into our hearts, let us meditate on it so that we might Start to live it the way you want us to live it each day. And you will be glorified. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for coming today. We're not going to have a closing hymn or anything. But, um, you know, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. I hope God has given you a challenge from his word. I do want to wish you a happy Memorial Day. But don't forget about the Lord. It's not just a day to enjoy yourself. We do need to remember the sacrifice that others have made, but let's remember the sacrifice that Jesus made. That was the ultimate sacrifice. And then let's live like that's important to us. And may the Lord bless you. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed. Yes. Is there going to be